today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. COVID is not in our rearview mirror, not any stretch of the imagination. It's had different levels of impact, of course, in different parts of the world. And, of course, uh, Sagar Magani is going to bring us up to speed on, on the American perspective over the last 12 months. On March 11, 2020, there were 125,000 confirmed cases worldwide and fewer than 5,000 deaths. But the World Health Organization said the virus's spread and severity were getting worse. COVID-19 can be characterized as a pandemic. It was the day Tom Hanks announced he was positive, the day the NBA suspended its season, the day the Trump administration suspended travel from Europe to the U.S. Among steps, the president said during a primetime address would significantly reduce the threat to America. And we will ultimately and expeditiously defeat this virus. Today, President Biden will make his first primetime address. Looking back on a year when the virus killed more than 527,000 Americans. Sagar Magani, Washington. Uh, it has been quite uh, 12 months, especially south of the border, and we have been watching, of course, with great interest about uh, what was going on, uh, you know, expecting America to take on the leadership role it has in so many other cases like this. And sadly, it didn't happen to the degree that we wanted to see it, and there were uh, winners and losers, I guess. An awful lot of the losers are people who lost their lives as a result of this. Uh, to uh, talk about it uh, and where we are and what we've learned from this, uh, so pleased to welcome back to the program Dr. Rodney Rohde, professor and chair of the Clinical Laboratory Science Program at the College of Health Professions at Texas State University. Doctor, always a pleasure. Thanks for making some time for us today. Good morning, Bill. It's always an honor and a pleasure to be on board with you guys. How are you today? I'm, I'm, I'm doing well, thanks very much. Uh, one year after the fact, i got to tell you, uh, when you and I talked, it was about 11 and a half months ago, I guess, yes, uh, I didn't think I'd still be here you know, working from home 12 months later, but here we are. I guess there's possibly an end in sight, but uh, it's, it's been a roller coaster of a year. And uh, let's let's go back to that day uh, when the World Health Organization uh, made that declaration that this was a pandemic. Uh, not to your surprise, I know, because you told us before they actually made the declaration that we were dealing with something a lot more serious than than we, a lot of us thought was going to be happening. Uh, but I think it still caught an awful lot of people off guard. People like you, you and others, were issuing this clarion call that we need to be cognizant of what's going on in the world. Uh, but we still thought, I, many of us anyway, that pandemics are something that happens someplace else. They happen in the third world or in Asia, in, in African continent. It doesn't happen in North America. Uh, and we really had our guard down when this started. Yes, sir, we really did. And, you know, it's what what a ride it's been, Bill. I mean, it's I had several memories pop up today on my social media, and it just really took me back to, to a year ago today. It was probably the last time I and friends, we went to a Texas State men's basketball game, and it was a record-breaking crowd. This was like March 10th or 11th, and it's really the last time I sat in an audience, you know, surrounded by friends and, and others, and it just, it's a lot of perspective, you know, a lot of a lot of feelings and a lot of memories as you've gone over the past year, but, but as a scientist and as a public health, you know, 30-year public health person, I think what's difficult about all this, looking backwards, is that you hit it right on the head. I mean, in general, the, most people think about pandemics or major outbreaks of disease as other people's problems, right? So you think about Ebola, you think mm-hmm. about other things. And even when Ebola did pop up in America back in 2014, it was a very limited you know, handful of things happened, and it was still really more imported cases, and we stopped it. And, and so I don't know if that gave us a false sense of security, but for those of us in public health who've watched this, we've been predicting and worrying and, and hoping we would be wrong 
that this might happen one day. And lo and behold, it did. And I think, you know, one of the major reasons it did was that it was a respiratory spread virus. In many ways, Ebola is, you know, more deadly, but more difficult to spread because it's basically through blood exposure from those people suffering from it. So when you start messing with a respiratory transmitted viral agent that mutates rapidly, you got some problems on your hands. And here we are, as you mentioned today, I think in the U.S. we're at 2.6 million plus cases and pushing about 529,000 deaths now. And it's just an unbelievable, unbelievable and surreal a kind of year to think back on all of the things that have happened and changed over that time. I think one of the key phrases you just mentioned, though, Doctor, was a false sense of security. Uh, because you mentioned about the Ebola situation, and, and you know, right, the Obama administration responded, Ron Klein and others uh, developed a strategy. But even here, when we had the SARS epidemic in Ontario uh, some right. years before that, we pretty much, it was disastrous, for, for, but we contained it to a, a pretty small area, really. Right. It didn't spread. as, And we thought, I, I guess we had this that false sense of security that you just referenced to say, you know what, even if it happens, we got this. We, we, we have the technology. Yeah. We got this under control. I think you're right. And, you know, um, that that's kind of on all of us, you know, including yeah. including everyone, really, because when you think about it, there is some, and I've, I've talked about this in some of my writing and, and speaking, is that when people ask me, you know, why didn't people think, and why aren't people even now considering this dangerous? And I think part of it, Bill, is that it goes back to really our successes, right? So my grandmother again, I've talked about this before, who was around in 1899 and lived to be 100, you know, she she thought vaccines for polio and measles and these things were amazing. I mean, heroic. And I think we've gotten a little bit spoiled, a little bit complacent, uh, generally, that we can handle this. You know, we got this. We can create antibiotics. We can create antivirals and things like that. But in reality, HIV and Ebola should have been a major wake-up call, and I think it was for the public health community, but we just haven't had that buy-in and funding and major support over the last few decades, and we're seeing that, right? So the lessons we've learned are, you know, uh, Operation Warp Speed in the U.S. and that sort of thing. That's been a triumph. I mean, that mm-hmm. has shown that we can, we can respond when we put our money and our efforts into it, just like we did in World War II. I mean, Merck working with its competitor, Johnson & Johnson, to produce more vaccine. I mean, that's unheard of in America. Two competitors actually working with each other to produce rapid vaccines and and, and all the antivirals and all the monoclonals. So in many ways, we have done some amazing things. The one hiccup, the one hindsight, you know, that people will judge the U.S. on, I think, is that, you know, we didn't, and you can blame whoever you want here, but we didn't get after contact tracing. We didn't get after taking it seriously and and trying to stomp out those initial hot spots like you talked about in Canada with the original SARS. Mm-hmm. And, then, and we've got to give the old nasty virus some credit, right? I mean, we've had SARS two other times, MERS and SARS, and it kind of disappeared and went away on its own. This one had more virulence, had more rapid transmission capabilities, and so it again we we kind of thought we could handle something like this, and we and we couldn't obviously. And 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 you talked about I, I don't want to 
play what if too much here, Doctor. But and I don't want to get into the political weeds here. You and I have had these discussions over the last year about this, and we right. all know who the players are on both sides of this right. this situation. But I guess my your, my biggest regret, and I'm sure one of yours as well, uh, is is what you just said that we we didn't take this seriously. What if uh, the political leadership, and I mean united political leadership, and just said right. this is a, this is a big deal. We have to follow the, what what the doctors are telling us uh, instead of diminishing this. And 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 that's that's I think one of the takeaways that I, I can't get over. And I guess the, the number of families that have lost loved ones over the last year right. seem to can't get over. Uh, the 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 biggest most egregious sin was diminishing the science. Uh, and 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 basically condemning people and and vilifying people that were presenting the science to us and and it wasn't just Anthony Fauci there were so many others that were saying listen to us uh, and and they were being shouted down and 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 I, I'm not saying that would have stopped the, the 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 pandemic I mean it was what it was it was here anyway but I'm just wondering if that would have mitigated some of the impact I think certainly if you talk to any experts they would agree uh, with that and again we can get into the politics a little bit from this standpoint. You know, if we, so let's just use the United States as an example, right? So we're at 2.7 million cases, 529,000 deaths. We have 5% of the world's population, but over 20% of the deaths. I mean, we are by far way outpacing other countries and other areas, other regions in the mortality issue. And if we would have um, taken it a little more seriously, and by that I mean, not politicized it. It is a public health emergency, probably the most pressing public health global emergency since the pandemic of 1918. And, and you know, giving HIV its credit and Ebola, but we just, in general, kind of downplayed it. And, and again, different players, different areas kind of did that. Mm-hmm. And that allowed the virus to take root. When you have people in a country that are fighting over things like mask use, you know, can I go eat? Can I travel? And the government is not on a united standing with what we're going to do, regardless of what you like, it creates problems, right? And we're, and we continue to have some issues like right here in Texas, you know, we've opened up with, yeah, with Matt taking masks. And, you know, I think most of us in the medical community and scientific community are saying, why now? Why not wait a couple more months when you have almost, you know, 100% of the elderly and immunocompromised and others vaccinated? Um, it, it's it's frustrating. So we still have some ongoing lessons to learn. And you're right. I mean, ultimately, we are going to live with this mortality uh, for the rest of our lives. You know, and, and, and history will judge us a little bit on how we failed in that area. I mean, as I would watch the coverage on a daily basis and still continue, uh, obviously, uh, with what's going on in, in the United States, uh, it, it, it would, my head would shake when I just said, well, this should not be about red states, blue states. But I mean, that's, if this is a public health issue, not a political issue. I can, uh, yeah, it was an election year, red states, blue states. Okay, have that debate. But not when it comes to public health. Uh, but, but right. that's the way they, 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 they denigrated the whole process. Yeah, I mean, it was just, and, and a lot of people, right? A lot of people, including, the, the policy side and things like that. Oh, yeah. It is very unfortunate. And I think if you go back to some of my early posts and my conversation and, and ongoing experts that talk about this, you know, we know, those of us in public health and science know that a virus, a microbe just really doesn't care. And you've heard me say it, viruses mm-hmm. are going to virus. They don't care 
about your geopolitical status or how much money you make or what you look like. They exist to infect and kill. And in the way you handle that is you follow solid public health preventative measures that have been proven for centuries. And we got away from that, at least a lot of people did. And, and you follow leadership sometimes. And, you know, you can leave people to their own will. I'm, I'm a U.S. freedom-loving person. But there's also a time that you need rules and guidelines and you follow leadership. It's just like war. You know, I'll continue to say that the virus is, is worse than a terrorist. They change and adapt more quickly than any terrorist. And we didn't take it as seriously as terrorism in many ways. On the other side of the coin, I need to touch on the vaccine issue. And that's, you know, that, that's a big deal. The fact that, you know, here we are 12 months after this, uh, a virus that we didn't know a whole lot about. And, and miraculously, and I think that's the correct word here, miraculously, uh, we yes, have sir. not just one, but a number of viruses and more on the way. Uh, the speed with which they, they went through that protocol and developed that is, is remarkable. And, and I'll add onto that, get your, your read on this too, the way in which we treat this. I mean, you know, before, if you were hospitalized, you're probably going to die. Uh, you were on a ventilator. They didn't have enough ventilators. Uh, but they, the, the, the experts learned so quickly how to deal with this and how to mitigate some of the symptoms. And, and a lot of people that, that you know may have been in a precarious position uh, a year ago, if they contracted the disease even three or four months after that, had a pretty good chance of survival and did survive because of the work that was done there. That's right. I mean, and that's, that's the, you know, if there is a shining um, outcome, of what's happened in the past year. It's that not only the United States and Canada and other, and other countries around the world decided that, you know, we better get busy. And so I will, and I continue to give some credit to global, uh, to, to warp speed in the U S the farmer yep. administration, you know, they poured billions of dollars into that cut down bureaucratic red tape. And because of that, we're seeing the fruits of that, right? We have multiple vaccines, New technology, I mean, the Moderna and Pfizer vaccine technology is exciting uh, for us in public health and, and health care because now we have a weapon of our own to target future emerging viruses and threats that can be adapted in less than maybe six months in some cases. I mean, that's phenomenal. It used to take three, four, five, seven years to get viruses together. And how we pulled together for, as you mentioned, you know, monoclonal antibody treatments and antiviral treatments and and shared that data across healthcare, you know, lines where maybe in the past competition would keep you from doing that. And and so the good part of this is I think we have learned that if we work together and we take things seriously and we pour our support into these areas, we can we can combat these things and we may not we may not get ahead of the virus, but we certainly can respond rapidly to different viruses. And that's that is the positive, exciting outcome to what's been going on this past year. Doctor, you gave me one of the most candid answers, I guess, when there was the, the rumor, and it was only a rumor at that stage, that a vaccine might be imminent. I said, how could they do this so quickly? I mean, you know, we still don't have an AIDS vaccine. And you said, quite simply, they gave us the money, uh, which they have not, right. had not done. Uh, they gave the money that was needed to do the research on that. And, and th th that was a hallelujah moment for people like, like yourself that were trying for years and years to make sure that that work got done. Yeah, I mean, I, again, and, 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 you know, with all due credit and all due kind of honesty here, society and, and advanced technology has caught up to the fact that we've got amazing molecular diagnostic technology now with 
with, and, and your audience may not know these, these acronyms, but things like CRISPR and gene you know, therapy. And, and I mean, it's just really blown up in the last two decades. But what really happened here that didn't happen with HIV, and they poured some money into HIV later, you know, after we started mm-hmm. believing it, is that we poured it in early and we poured in, um, you know, cutting across that competitive sector and really tried to make it where we had multiple lines of manufacturers working independently, but together, so that if one failed, another one succeeded. Everybody wins at the end of the day for public health. So it, it costs money, Bill, and it's not yeah. it's not popular. It's it's a public health truth that an ounce of prevention is better than a pound of cure, and that is a truism that will stand for all time. And, and it's not always fun to think about spending money. It's not always fun to worry about problems before they happen. But we all know that's the best route to go, whether it's daily life or a pandemic. You know, prepare, prepare, prepare. Well, uh, yeah, because I know the political situation as you do too, doctor. And, uh, you know, it, it's great that that commitment was there and, and we're reaping the benefits of that. But, you know, darn well, two or three years out, if there hasn't been a pandemic, somebody's going right. to look at that line on the ledger and said, do we really need to spend that kind of money? We're trying to save money here. We're trying to quote unquote find efficiencies. Uh, I'd like to think that maybe they've learned a lesson here. I guess time will tell. Uh, speaking yeah, of time, I, go ahead. Go ahead. Quick answer. Say real quickly, I know we're running short on time, but you're, 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 that's an important thing to finish with is that hopefully moving into the future, we will take public health pandemics and other emergencies as seriously as our Department of Defense funding. It's as important. We've seen it. It's killed more people than multiple wars put together. And it's certainly worth our effort to have ongoing, eternally kind of line item funding for public health. Doctor, always a pleasure uh, to get your perspective on this and, and to give us the facts as, as they know it. It's been a, a tumultuous year, and as we say, we're not out of it yet, but uh, still more to come on this. Thank you so much for the time today. Thank you so much for your time, and uh, let's all hope we're getting close to the end of this thing. I certainly hope so. Thanks again. Dr. Rodney Rohde, of course, from Texas State University. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.